I looked for money, a loan of money for the first time in my life. My dad responded to say, you got yourself into this, John, get yourself out of it. And uh, I wasn't able to lodge that in any bank in, <laughs> in the country. I'm John Fitzgerald, host of the Cord podcast. I'm curious about the changing world of work. I want to have conversations that will help us all become future ready. John, I'm delighted to have this opportunity to chat with you for the first episode of The Cord. Uh, my name is Mark Cahalan. I obviously work with you in harmonics, particularly as a coach. Um, many people who are going to be listening to this will be familiar with you um, from working with you, but they mightn't be familiar with your story. So we're turning the tables slightly here and interviewing you as the first guest on your own podcast. So, John, to start off, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your childhood, where you grew up? your formative experiences. It feels like a coaching session, Mark, that you're driving me into. Tell me about your childhood and where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up on a family farm in County Limerick uh, at a crossroads. So it was always a place where there were people coming in and going out of the house. There was uh, lots of conversation uh, about sports and politics and the parish. I think uh, I got a great sense of community where I grew up. And uh, we had, a, we had um, a number of houses next to us and we all played football in the field or we played whatever sport was going on at the time. If tennis was popular in Wimbledon, we were playing tennis. If it was the Aga Khan, we were, we were making show jumping. We were swimming in the local river. So um, a great community, a great, great place to go up. And uh, I, I got a lot of my, I suppose, values in life from where I grew up and my mother had a saying, the devil gives work to idle hands. So I suppose growing up in a farm, you always had that sense of there was something to be done and uh, you, you weren't to be caught lazing around. So it sounds like a, a happy and a busy childhood. Your mum unfortunately passed away lately and recently and your dad not too long ago as well. What example did they set for you, your mother and father? Yeah, so... So my dad passed away two years ago and had a had, had a tough end to his life. He had a bad accident in his mad in his mid fifties. And um, but I, I think what I got from from my dad was a lot of resilience to to keep going. He made a poor career decision himself and and never really enjoyed what he did for a living, which was farming. And probably fate was uh, was something that came in the way for himself. He had a he also had a great love of writing and uh, he, he wrote a diary entry every day into a big A4 diary and uh, he's left me a legacy of lots of diaries of, of um, what he was thinking about life and uh, I, I do a similar thing and I love writing as well and uh, the other thing I think from, from dad was he always used to take the road uh, less traveled if we went to someplace one road he would travel a different road back so he always had that curiosity for for life and also fairness in society i think was was hugely important to dad my mom is very recent she's only passed away a month ago and uh, I, I wrote a blog about her on linkedin called faith hope and charity and she had an incredibly powerful faith in the Catholic Church and uh, would have would have been forcing us all to, to go to Mass and First Fridays and say our prayers. But uh, she, she, you know, what, what really resonated for me in, in recalling her life as part of her eulogy was the faith that that generation had and how it kept them going through tough times in their lives. Uh, she, she also had uh, hope 
a cousin of mine said to me at the funeral, you know, that she had an infectious enthusiasm and she always left me in a feeling better about myself anytime I left Chris. Uh, so, um, and charity, she was always in the community and, and helping others. So I think uh, it, it was a great foundation from both dad and mom in different ways that uh, I, I got great values from them. And maybe just on reflection for any of us in our parents, we probably don't see it at the time that they give us, but we, we are all uh, in some way made in the image and likeness of our parents. John, there's probably many things in what you described there which would have been clues to the career you ultimately adopted in terms of faith and hope as well. You obviously are somebody who has a lot of faith in people. You talked about career choices and you talked about um, being at a crossroads. As a young man heading out into the world from that background, what were you planning to do? I had absolutely no idea, Mark. <laughs> I was, I, uh, you know, when, when you reflect on growing up in the 80s in, in Ireland, it was a very different place in, in rural Ireland. There was, there was very little talk about career success. You, uh, you, you kind of got through school and um, you, you may have made your way into college or whatever, but I, I, I suppose for me, it was, it was a different road in that I made a, a mistake in my first career choice in that I kind of followed my father's mistake into staying at home on the farm after doing my leaving cert. And that was the wrong decision because there was tension every day at the dinner table. And it was a young John uh, trying to have uh, not so great conversations with his first line manager father, who was, uh, you know, in conflict uh, on a daily basis. And my mother was the referee and seeing this happening. And I suppose uh, was was great from a career coaching perspective because she helped me find my first job in Rota Stores in O'Connell Street in Limerick, where I worked in the men's department. And in hindsight, I was looking out the window at everybody who was going to college in Limerick at the time, and I had seen a missed opportunity. But when I look back now, I learned really valuable skills for life around customer service, around meeting people from many different generations and being interested in their stories. And, and they, were, they were coming in from the country and they were sharing their lives and I was just listening to them. So I was probably coaching way back then when I was 19 or 20 years of age. And, and maybe all of that curiosity in people and where they come from came from, from that start in life. But uh, yeah, it, it was definitely not the traditional route, but it served me well over the longer term. So listening to people, a core skill that you learned at a young age um, and something which has obviously served you well and being interested in people. Did that background lead you to the setting up of harmonics, John, or what was your thinking if you fast forward a little bit? Yeah, fast forwarding a, uh, more than a little bit. I, I think I had a curiosity, insatiable curiosity for life and for adventure and for travel and I ended up going to the States. I ended up living in, in London, traveling around Australia. So I had many different jobs and I always left jobs for not for what I could earn, but for what I could learn. So uh, a lot of people maybe in the traditional mindset of he grew up in a family farm, he's leaving a farm behind him. He should stay with a steady job and, and, and stay there. Like uh, for example, Aer Lingus permanent pensionable job at the time. And, and I left all of those for, for more. I, I, I didn't know, it wasn't more money, but it was, it was a new experience. 
And I would look back in that time in my life now and say, in my 20s, I got so many valuable experiences by traveling and seeing different places that that served me well for for change. And I absolutely loved change and uh, I was never settling. So I was probably trying to find my niche, but didn't know what it was. And those experiences have very much helped me in building harmonics. And, and that was that came when I was 40 years of age and a change hadn't worked out. And I'd ended up for six months signing on the dole. And, I, you know, I was very challenged about what I was going to do and where I was going to go in my life. But that resilience maybe to keep going and some great career advice from my father when I was in a bit of a hole and I looked for money, a loan of money for the first time in my life. And uh, my dad responded to say, you got yourself into this, John, get yourself out of it. And uh, I wasn't able to lodge that in any bank in, <laughs> in the country. But what I was able to do was lodge it in my memory bank. And it was it was something that while it was really hard news to take at the time, I think he was he, he wasn't a mean man by any means, but he was sending me a life message that uh, you've got to make this work for yourself if you really want to. And I think a lot of people when they're trying to start out a new business venture or they're trying to do something different or they're moving into a new role. I think that they often doubt themselves and I definitely doubted myself and had the limiting beliefs and that, that everybody has. But if you keep at it and you're very clear that this is aligned to your purpose and what you really want to do in life, well, then you'll eventually get there. But it does take time. It does take pain and heartbreak. And uh, and it does need the support of great people around you, which I was lucky to have. So a starting point was insight into people. We've talked about the lessons from your childhood. So you've now founded Harmonics. What did you want it to be? I had this vision of a business that was uh, very values based and was going to have quality uh, corporate clients on our books and that we would build our reputation by doing great work. You know, I, I set out with the initial vision to have the number one career coaching business in the country. And I think we've we've achieved that. And uh I suppose to get there, you've you've got to be really strong on what you stand for. And the first three corporate clients we got, luckily enough, were the University of Limerick O2 and Specsavers. And I remember saying to myself at that stage, you know, we have three great clients. They will tell other clients. And reputation built on reputation as a result of those three initial clients. And, and it evolved and grew from there. But, um, you know, the most important thing was that we were not going to just be another Me Too training company. We were going to be a company that was going to make a difference. And making a difference was very strong in my values set. And, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's served us well. And there's been lots of, you know, tough uh, decisions that we've had to make along the line. But I think we have evolved and grown Harmonics to be a wider business now where we have four divisions. We have organization change, we have recruitment, we have coaching, and we have outplacement. So, um, you know, from Little Acorns, we, we've, we've kind of grown and evolved, but we've never lost that sense of who we are. And I've never wanted to grow the business too fast. I've always wanted to have the right people uh, and doing great work rather than winning lots of contracts and, and not being able to, to fulfill them in the best way possible. 
John, one thing I've always wondered and I've never actually asked you is why did you call the business harmonics? Yeah, so we were setting out to, to set up the business. I had all these different names in my head and uh, I met a guy called uh, Tommy Casey. He was a, a marketing and website guy who helped me out at the start. And, and, um, and what he did was he did like I would do in a coaching session. He listened to what I was trying to offer. And I spoke to him and he took a couple of weeks and he came back and he kept on telling me about this name, but he wasn't telling me the name. But what he kept on saying was what he heard from me that resonated was that I was in tune with people and we wanted them to be in tune with their careers and where they were in their future. So he came up with the name Harmonics. Uh, my daughter was disgusted to find out that it wasn't myself that came up with the brainchild. But the great thing was that that name has served us now to being, uh, I, I think it's a name of, that's come of age because uh, it is for, for everybody being in tune with themselves and uh, organizations being in tune with their people. What would you say is the essence of harmonics? I think the, the essence of harmonics is that we, we, we have this approach that we don't just see um, when we hear clients describe their, their problems, that we don't just jump in and say, this is another one of those. I think the essence of what we do is we diagnose really, really well. We listen to what the client is talking about. And maybe sometimes we don't offer them the solution that they had originally come to us for. But that has served us really well. I think we're asked for... Uh, to come in at times of complex change. So for example, there could be a merger or an acquisition, there could be a restructuring or downsizing, there could be an issue with uh, talent development. And uh, all of those are not easy, quick fix decisions or programs that you just buy off the shelf. So I think the essence of us is that we care uh, about the, the, the client and wanting the best result for themselves. And, uh, and we do that by diagnosing and, and really listening and understanding. So we probably put an awful lot, in, and even we've been, we've been told we probably put too much time into getting the right solution. But I think, again, from a recommendation perspective, it always comes back to us in, in other ways. And that's something you do for both organizations and individuals. You've built up long-term relationships with clients over the years, both coaching and advising organizations through significant change. What are the watchouts for those when you're going through that change, John? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the watchouts are that, um, you know, people have got to, to take time out. I, I talk about five T's when I, when I talk about watchouts for organizations. I talk about talent. Talent now is more at the edges of organizations. There are specialist people in talent. They may be contractors. There might be middle managers who are running out of road and they need to be developed in a different way. So I think there needs to be a lot more focus for organizations around talent management and talent development and building a culture that will, will, will attract and retain those people. And knowing that you're not going to retain them forever as well is, is another thing that organizations need to think about. Transitions uh, is the second T, and that's really about the 100-year life and what Linda Grattan would talk about, the multi-stage life. 
And, you know, we see that Fortune 500 companies have, you know, last 15 years now, we see that average tenure is 4.6 years in, in the EU. So when we look at the, at the world where we came from, and I grew up in the 80s, it was more about traditional find a job and, and get that permanent pensionable space where now we're gone into insecurity of tenure. And we're, we're now helping people to educate their people for, you know, for agility and for consistent change and transition. The second uh, or the third element of the T's is time, you know, that we can work anywhere now. And uh, we, because we can work anywhere, we've, we've got to be mindful of isolation and creating environments where people will thrive. And especially since the, the, the onset of the pandemic, you know, when we work, the 24 seven nature of work and, and people not working nine to five anymore, but maybe logging on for a few hours in the morning, maybe taking their kids to school, logging back off again. And people have got to mind themselves in that whole, um, in that whole nature of time. And I've even seen it with a client we're working with uh, only last week, where because there isn't the commute to work anymore, people are filling that with more productivity and more Zoom or team meetings, rather than you know getting the balance as best they can around managing that. The fourth one is technology, and you know we saw the transition in automation in the in the in I suppose the 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 industrial. Uh, challenges there around the the the, um, the production floor changing to become more automated now we're seeing i suppose the white collar worker the office staff who are now having to face digitization and what what that will mean for change because there's an awful lot of cost savings to be got for organizations in taking out routine manual work and making it more digital but people need to keep up with that and the fifth t i talk about is trust you know, that engagement is consistently from the Gallup surveys, engagement is, is, is at a consistent kind of a two thirds of people are, are disengaged. I think we've got to work, we've got to work more on making sure that we're connecting with people, especially when they're working remotely and in a hybrid way, that we're reaching out and we're caring for them. And we're, um, we're listening to them and watching out for them as human beings. So they're kind of five that I talk about that organizations got to work watch out for in what's changing in the world of work. The phrase the future of work, John, and you've written a book to, on the future of work, so obviously you know a lot about it. It's sometimes difficult with all these new, you know, the great resignation, that the expressions that come into vogue, they almost seem like catchphrases, but what they do indicate is continuous change. How do businesses manage change? What can they do now tangibly to look at their business and to ensure that their business is robust into the future? Yeah, I mean, organizations have got to make tough decisions today. As I've talked about digitization and technology coming in, it's changing the organization chart. So I think the first thing that they've got to look at, which is very difficult to do, is restructuring their organization to be future fit, to attract and, and develop today's workforce. Um, and, and that can be quite a, quite, quite a big undertaking, but, it, but it's necessary to get an organization that's going to be future fit. I think the second thing is that, you know, um, organizations need to be stronger at having performance and career conversations with their people around what is required for today's workforce and that they're not caught 
employing yesterday's workforce. And when we look at today's workforce, we need to, I suppose, have that duality of having a conversation about, well, what is changing in our organization? I see organizations very poor at communicating what's changing. And I see individuals then who are kind of not aware of what's changing and don't know what skills to upskill in. So I think that is something that needs to happen much better than is happening at the moment. And the third thing I think that we need to do is, is time to pause. I think any of the work that we do now when we go into organizations, there used to be things like two days offsite where people would take time off and reflect and think. We're, we're now you know, squeezing that into three hours if we're lucky to get a, a workshop online. And, and we're, we're, we're kind of slaves to technology and slaves to, to, to diaries rather than, you know, putting that white space because that's when we will get the opportunity to, to make better decisions. And, and I think that's where our higher order thinking comes from is that if we take that time out to think more regularly, we can get great wins from that. But because everybody's on the hamster wheel, everybody's really challenged about, you know, quarterly targets and what they're going to achieve. It's difficult for organizations to manage change. When you go into an organization to manage a project, to work on change, whatever it is you've been mandated to do, where are the spheres of influence in the business that you're working with? So when you talk about an organization needs to be more transparent with its employees, employees need to be future ready and be aware of how they need to upskill. Where are you looking to work in the business and, and why is that? Well, if you don't get buy-in at the, at the top of organizations, any work that we do will, um, will fail, to be quite honest with you. And that is where organization leaders, and, and if you don't get in to speak with the organization leadership team and they don't understand the requirement for change, well, then anything you do down through the organization is, is at peril of failing. So, so we would really always want to talk to the leadership team and get an understanding that they need to be part of the change. They need to role model uh, to, because everybody's looking up and seeing how they're behaving and then that will trickle down the organization. So, so I think that if, for example, organizations are talking about agility, we get a lot of that kind of, we want people to be more agile. We want, we want to create an organization with a great purpose. We want innovation here. Well then, where we would be looking at the organization and looking at the leaders and saying, well, where are you creating the opportunities for people to experiment, to try new things? Uh, to make mistakes, maybe, and uh, and 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 you know, they've got to create an environment where it's less about just structured doing, and more uh, uh, getting that balance between uh, the operational focus and the time out to to create an environment an environment that will, you know, that that will will learn new skills, and and I suppose the other thing is that we can be braver in hiring people who don't just look like us. You know, we, we need to hire for diversity. We need to hire for diversity of thought, diversity of, of age, 
so that reflects maybe our customer base. Uh, we need to be braver in not putting people into boxes and say, well, they'll never change. Because I think people with lots of long tenure who people might have said they will never change have changed the most in the last two years because they've had to change. So I think the, the message of change and communicating change and the why for change is so important. It's not just about the here's the what of change. You've got to really listen to your people and bring them through that journey. So, you know, all of that is, is about businesses becoming braver and having more transparent and trustworthy conversations with their people. And the other point I would make is that strong emotional ties, you know, how people buy people and people connect with people. And I think today, especially when people are more isolated than at home, we want to belong to something and we want to belong to an organization that's clear on its purpose. And uh, it really, I suppose, respects and values people. So they're the kind of things that I would be looking out for when we go into organizations to see, is that there? Is it not there? And, uh, and challenging back the organization about, well, you know, if you want to make change happen, here are some of the things you need to think about. You've talked about the playbook of business leadership um, no longer being valid, John, because of the changed environment. If you're working with a HR leader who wants to be braver, you've perhaps outlined many of the things you'd ask them to focus on. What would you be advising them to do if, it, if you're a HR leader listening to this? What would you say they need to do to help future-proof their business and get that on the agenda of the business? Well, the first thing is to get the organization to slow down and take a time out. You know, we see that in American football, you need a time out to see what, what your new strategy is going to be. I don't see a lot of timeouts. And uh, every business leader should create the space to, to read, to catch up and to look at the trends to see what's changing in the future, to see the tsunami of change that's coming in technology disruption and uh, help people to see the change that's happening so that then you can gain the trust of your people to bring them along the way. But um, I, as I say, a lot of people want to put that whole change piece into a three hour you know, workshop rather than it's a process of change that you need to bring people on. Is it a process as well as a state of mind? Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about future of work skills that are required. And, you know, we've talked about nine C's like critical thinking, creativity, collaboration, communication. They're all valuable skills. But ultimately, uh, we've got to look at the mindset that's required for change, because I might have the greatest uh, skills in the world, but if, if I don't have the mindset to apply them, we've all seen talented people who have, um, you know, been talented at sport in our younger years, but they hadn't the mindset to succeed because uh, of, of whatever distraction they faced. So I think mindset is, is a critical thing. And, and, and you get inside someone's mindset by having great conversations and being interested in them and building that emotional connection with them and, 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 and I suppose helping them to see their place in the future. You also talk about employers having to look out for employees' physical, emotional, physical and emotional well-being as well as their financial well-being. Is that a very significant step change that an employer is now looking at the emotional well-being of its organization? Well, 
there's a lot of perks that are placed in front of people, you know, fuzzballs and and and, and all of the, the perks that were given to the to, to the likes of the new technology companies who brought them into the workspaces. And now that we can see that people are working more remotely, we've got to think in a in a definitely in a different way. And we've got to be more holistic. And, uh, you know, people have career concerns. Where am I going to be in this future of work? How can I grow here? What's in demand? And I think by having those conversations earlier, it, it kind of averts those conversations then when somebody gets a job offer and is going for an extra five or 10 grand somewhere else. People have financial concerns. And we set up a sister business, Harmonics Financial, to help people with financial education and well-being. And we see an awful lot of concerns that people have around their finances and how they can get on, you know, how they how they can acquire a mortgage at a certain time in life, etc. So we've got to be more helpful to people in that space. We've, you know, the emotional concerns. I spoke about isolation. I think there are a lot of people who are struggling from a mental health perspective out there at the moment and are tending to maybe just work away and keep busy, but maybe they need that that, that reach out and that connection. So again, it's building that emotional ties and, and in a holistic way. And I think it's not just about measuring engagement, it's about measuring happiness and engagement. And I think that's so important from a neuroscience perspective is that we just don't think rationally and speak about what are the answers we want in an engagement survey. We partner with the happiness index, for example, and it asks a simple question, how are you feeling? And that's such an important question that I found when I was connecting with my own people through the start of the pandemic was not starting every meeting with the agenda, but how are you feeling? And I think that's one of the things that helped us to get through when we were more challenged about would we have work in the same way that we we had it in the past. So being in tune with your people um, is is really, you know, what, what we talk about in harmonics. And it is about... Um, you know, connecting with them and listening to them on this journey. So values are very clearly important in the pursuit of value creation. What about the employee, John? You talked about it earlier on about them needing to scan the environment and look at their future skills. We've been focused very much here on the organization, but to employees sitting in an organization who are wondering about, well, where am I going? Where am I going to be in five years? What's your message to them? Slow down, back to timeouts again. I say to people they should take a half day every six months to think about their career, to do an audit. We've developed the Future Career Readiness Index as an instrument that people can can go on and, and, uh, and do that assessment. They need to be thinking not just about the skills they supply today, but the skills that will be in demand in the future. They need to think about staying employable and marketable. And, uh, and, and maybe less thinking about, you know, the, the, the change being a big thing that they need to, to kind of take on or that the organization is asking them to do, to see for themselves, uh, where's, where can I create the win for myself here? And maybe that's a message from my own childhood of growing up in a farm and always, you know, having to solve a problem in a different way when it didn't work out. I think, you know, as individuals, we've got to become more entrepreneurial in our thinking and less thinking about the organization doing it for me or a manager doing it for me. And the other point I would make here is that we've got to keep connections that we have within our profession and our sector 
uh, we've got to grow those throughout our career journey because we will have different organizations that we work for and we're going to have to have a network of people that can help us through that. I've seen many, many people I've coached who have a great network within their organization, but then change happens and they've got to explore maybe working on contract for a number of years and, and they've got to build their connections as they go. So I think it's 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 a combination of skill set, mindset and, and a network of people to, to help you. And obviously, John, you Harmonics focuses on outplacement and at times you can work with organizations where the reputation is at risk because they want to do the right thing for their employees who believe in the organization and then the individual facing change what do you see the most when you talk to somebody who is leaving an organization it's been downsized it's closing what are their greatest fears and what what you do with them in that situation well their greatest concern is that they want to get back on the horse as fast as possible. They don't want to take that time out. They want to get the, um, you know, that 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 almost instant new job. Uh, they they want to put away their redundancy money and 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 save it if they can. And these are all natural uh, psychological concerns that we will have uh, around safety, and uh, but. Our advice is always to take to take that time out and to use it in a in a proactive way to plan for the next stage of their career rather than just going into another action replay of where they've come from. So quite often people have gone into careers and they said they'd stay there for four years and ended up there for 14 or 24 years and they've never really evaluated what do I want and maybe built in their own professional development plan around learning. So quite often it is just helping people to, uh, to stand back from everything and just assess it with where they are right now in their career and in their life journey. And is this the right move for me? Because I've seen many people who've taken the quick and easy um, you know, decision to go into something that's the very same and maybe they think it's the very same, but it's actually very different. The values are different. The environment is different. And then six months later, they're kind of coming back and saying, you were right. That was the wrong decision. I didn't do a values audit. I didn't look at the skills I wanted to use in the future. I didn't take the time. So that's all very well to say in a rational basis when I'm across from somebody, but when the urgency is there and when there's maybe financial challenges and maybe the spouse or the partner is, is putting pressure on them, that there's it's holding that ground for people and giving them that space to make the right choice. It's not easy, um, but I think it's an incredibly rewarding time to be with somebody because that's when they when they're making a change like that and they make a transformation that it can be huge for them. And it's it's been huge for me to see that transformation happening in people. We started talking um, about crossroads and we're finishing up here now, John, talking about people being at crossroads. And I can uh, testify myself, having gone through that process with you and with harmonics and that the, um, the difference it makes. Is there anything else you would like to say before we conclude uh, to employees or employers? Is there anything I didn't ask before I finally ask um, about the cord? Is there anything I didn't raise here that you think is important? I wrote in the book, Future Proof Your Career, uh, the strap line for that was from the inside out. And 
I took some time to get to that answer about from the inside out. And I see so many people making choices along the way from the outside in and trying to maybe be uh, what their parents might have wanted them to be or, uh, you know, maybe get caught up into what their job title says or what their organization does. I, I think from, from working with many different people, the most important thing is to, to, to develop uh, in a way that's in tune with yourself. And that comes from the inside out. And, and you know yourself the right answer quite a lot of the time. We have that intuition and uh, that, that we need to, to, to pay more attention to. And if we can do that, we'll be more aligned to what we want to do in the future. So I think that's been my, my lifelong journey message is that the decisions that you make uh, always as best you can make them with uh, that, that intuitive, albeit informing yourself with what's happening in the marketplace. But uh, I'm, I'm not saying that people should go away and start a business that they're passionate about, but it doesn't make economic sense. We would always sense check that. But the most important thing is staying true to yourself and being in tune with yourself. So for the next episodes of The Chord, it will be the tables will be turned and you'll be interviewing a number of people from different worlds of, of work. What is The Chord going to be, John, and, and why now? Why now? I, I see a lot of people who need a playbook for the future and they're, they're, they're wondering what that is. And uh, when, when I look at the future of work, I believe that none of us can predict the future of work, but we can scan for the future. And by doing that, I think uh, what we want to do with the cord is look at the future of work from three dimensions. We want to look at individuals and how they're going through the journey in the future of work. And we'll be interviewing people who have um, interesting career journeys and how they have evolved and changed on the way. We'll be looking at organization leaders and speaking to them about what they're doing and how they're preparing for the changing landscape and the future of work. And then we'll be, we'll be speaking to thought leaders across the world of work, and we'll be hearing their insights into what they're seeing. So all of that information from an individual, an organization, and a broader environmental um, view will give us a better insight into how we need to be preparing for the works or for the world of work and i suppose what we what we would love to see coming from it is that we're going to be getting two or three nuggets on each episode that we can put together and almost build out a program that will help people to stay ahead uh, and and not to be as scared of the disruption that's coming down the tracks i'm very much looking forward to it as i'm sure everybody else is as well john we started with the personal. I'm going to finish with the personal with just a couple of very quick questions. What book would you most recommend to your listeners? Well, there's a tome of a book called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, he's, he's from Israel and he's a historian and he's written three really big tomes on, on the history of the world and what we need to learn about the future and what's changing. And he talks a lot about technocracy and AI and um, and I think that is is something that uh, because I'm into it, I suppose it's given me a lot of insights into how we as humans uh, should should be in the future. So I would recommend Sapiens. Best app or podcast? 
A couple there. I, I like David Mac Williams for some reason. It, you know, I'm, I'm not into economics, but it, he makes it uh, fun and listenable from, from my perspective. Uh, he also shares great insights into the history of the world. I like listening to a GA podcast uh, because I'm into hurling. The, uh, the Irish Examiner have Dalo's, Anthony Daly's hurling show. And when I'm out for a walk, uh, there's three or four lads in that and they just talk like the three or four lads that I talk with in a pub about hurling and it it helps me unwind so uh, so so that's a there's a couple of different ones you may have answered this one already when you talked about your father best advice ever given to you yeah I mean my dad you got yourself into this get yourself out of it is uh, is a line that I never forget and will always I'll always hear that echo in 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 my head when you're um, and, and the other one is, you know, this too shall pass. I think especially at the moment in, you know, lots of people being challenged about restrictions and so on and so forth. This too shall pass. I think that's something that we should always maybe have in the back of our minds. John, finally, turning it back to the business, your priority business focus for the year ahead. I think keeping the business going and uh, growing. And also, as I was saying, I think with the content we're going to create in the podcast, uh, I, I would like to be able to create a, a program that people can uh, can can go through that will help them as as the output from from the content we pick up on on, on the cord. And I'm really looking forward to building a, a future proofing program that we can offer to individuals and organizations as they prepare for the future of work. Thank you very much, John. That was a pleasure to listen to, as always. Thanks, Mark. I enjoyed that. And I'll, I'll probably much prefer to be on the other side of the table interviewing people into the future. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Core today. We would really appreciate if you could follow, subscribe and share as we seek to grow our community of listeners. Speak again soon.